If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wargent, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. I'm Pete Wargent. I'm here with Chris Bates. G'day, Chris. How's things? Pete, life's good. How's uh, how's things in the UK? You're coming back to the, the land of Oz next week, I hear. I am. I'm flying on the weekend, actually, or next weekend, as you uh, listen to this. I'll actually be possibly on the way by then. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to it. Never enjoy the long-haul flights with kids, but, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into a Sydney spring and uh, traveling around the country a bit. I'm doing the Rask Roadshow for a couple of weeks, so we've got a few events there. Port Macquarie, Newcastle, Sydney, so uh, your last chance to get a few tickets for that. And actually, Chris, come to think of it, we're doing a workshop on the 22nd of uh, the month, actually, the Friday afternoon. Um, We've got a few spare tickets for that, so uh, shoot us an email if you're keen to come along. We've got two or three spares. Uh, So looking forward to that as well, Chris. Absolutely. Looking forward to that with Pete. And um, you're right, it started spring sprung, and I guess it's an interesting time in property markets. You see listings start to increase this time of year. We've um, absolutely seen a bit of a behaviour shift, a bit of an urgency there with our buyers. Um, I think we're almost in double figures of purchases this week, which is, you know, uh, and lots of, and some actual real big purchases as well. So, um, you know, we haven't seen too many purchases over that sort of 1.5 to 2 mark, um, a lot in the sort of, 500 to low 1 million. Um, but yeah, I definitely think things are shifting there. So what, what three stories are we going to chat this week, Pete? Oh, just uh, aside from property, uh, there's nothing better than Sydney as you come into September, October and the weather starts uh, warming up and people start getting into that summer mindset. I'm really uh, looking forward to being back in town for that. So uh, yes, this is our weekly two cents segment every Sunday morning at 7am. You'll find our two cents podcast episode waiting for you in your podcast player. So the big three news stories we're covering this week, Chris. Uh, so firstly, a housing proposal for New South Wales, actually, very timely, uh, to speed up supply using what they call pattern book housing. So uh, interesting proposal there that's being considered by the New South Wales state government. So we'll take a look at that. Secondly, 
some slightly stronger market dynamics for property. In fact, uh, AFR article by Nyla Sweeney uh, with Louis Christopher predicting that buyer FOMO or fear of missing out is to explode as interest rates are on hold for a third month and looking set to peak. And then thirdly, uh, we never got around to covering the intergenerational report that was released a week or two ago, which kind of sort of maps out or predicts the future for Australia over the next 40 years or so. Uh, so just uh, three or four interesting uh, points to discuss from there too. Uh, so what should we kick off with then, Batesy? Um, this pattern book housing proposal for New South Wales. So um, interesting suggestion. It, it seems to me that it's kind of mad that we've got into a situation uh, where, so this proposal is for 375,000 dwellings to be built in five years in New South Wales alone, just in one state. Um the fact that we're even talking about needing this many dwellings in five years seems kind of crazy. And we're, we're obviously uh, behind the eight ball a bit in terms of building enough uh, housing for the growing population. Yeah, I think this is such a big story that, um, you know, I probably mentioned a few times on the podcast, the work from home, the hybrid movement. I, I think the other big story, the trend to be watching is that the battle between the NIMBY, you know, let's not, I don't want to see any development. I love my suburb how it is today. And, the Yimbies, um, you know, yes, in my backyard. And I think this is, uh, you know, a lot of backing behind the Yimbies right now, right? There's a lot of pressure with rental crisis plus a housing affordability crisis. Um, and we're going to be underbuilding. And so uh, vacancy rates and uh, and potentially um, if we start to see more price increases to properties as well, well, then there's even further frustration building for a lot of people um, wanting to get out of rentals and maybe buying their first place. So, there needs to be an answer that otherwise there's a bit of social unrest. And I think Sydney in particular, we're talking about Sydney in this one, is losing its global competitiveness, I believe. You know, if, if you can't attract talent unless you can also say, hey, you can also rent easily and um, you could buy a house here if you want to stay here. I think if Sydney starts to become a place where it is the haves, the have-nots, and, you know, arguably it's already becoming that, um, and we can't attract, attract global talent, well, you know, how's our city going to evolve over the next 10, 20, 30 years? So I think it's a big issue and, and solutions are going to keep coming up. And as Chris Min said, we've got to go up, not out. Um, so that means more density. But, you know, do we just want to keep building density where there is density, you know, around sort of Waterloo or Green Square or Epping or St. Leonard's or Parramatta or Woolai Creek or, you know, there are you know, hotspots of density, but do we densify in the middle ring suburbs or even the inner ring suburbs with small low rise, you know, small blocks of units, um, which basically are not what developers build anymore. They build high density greenfield estates um, and not, and, you know, you get the mum and dad sort of builders doing the small developments and stuff like that, but you don't see the, the big time developers playing in the small segment too much unless they're doing the ultra expensive downsizer market. So what is this pattern book supply, Pete? I mean, let's let's talk about that as an option and, and why that's potentially not a bad thing to consider. So it's The Guardian that covered the, the news story and essentially what it is, the Housing Now group has argued that around 30 suburbs in Sydney basically need to be transformed by adding um, much more in the way of medium-rise apartment dwellings, high-density housing, as you mentioned, and that's to deliver 375,000 homes over five years. But the way it essentially is going to work is that uh, you would pre-approve certain what they call pattern book housing designs that can be rolled out. And this is being backed by 
unions, it's being backed by universities, big business. So there's a bit of a push going to head in this direction. And I guess the general idea is if you've got pre-approved housing designs, you don't have to spend so much time in that constipated uh, sort of planning approval system and you can just get stuff pushed through much quicker. And I suppose um, uh, the the uh, New South Wales Premier is sort of interested in backing the idea potentially. I mean, it, it has been sort of suggested um, by um, University of New South Wales that it's a good idea, but we can't get too bogged down in the aesthetics of how things look. I suppose that there's a couple of sort of red flags there. You know, when I hear about certain arbitrary target numbers being floated around, you start thinking, well, if it's just about numbers and people are saying, well, you can't worry too much about what things look like and the aesthetics, you do worry about the quality versus quantity argument. It sort of conjures up this image of a sort of communist or Soviet cities where, you know, the big drab tower blocks being thrown up at very fast pace. Um, but I guess um, anything that can help to sort of free up the supply um process at the moment would have to be worth considering i think chris one of the issues i see at the moment is yes new apartment projects at the premium end of the market are getting across the line because developers can make those work but just for a city like sydney just a, a bog standard two-bedroom unit development it's very hard to make that stack up for developers at the moment construction costs are up 50 percent since 2019 for that type of dwelling um the yeah, the availability of trades and materials is tough. Developers are struggling, many of them going into insolvency. And I just don't know that we're going to get the big numbers through, at least until they can charge more for the product, I guess. Yeah, I like the idea that, um, you know, Simon Kustemach, we've had him on um, the podcast uh, and I've been mates with him slash, you know, work friends, I guess, for many years since I had him on our other podcast. And um he said it really well, you know, like if you look at the major cities around the world and he's from Germany, but, you know, you could look at, you know, the Paris and, you know, Rome and all that sort of stuff. It's like medium dense, medium height, you know, it's not super, you know, 30, 40 stories and they're just built for them to last hundreds of years. They're built well. And I think if you're right, Pete, if you are going to do this and rezones, I think they were talking, we need to make 30 more Surrey Hills. Like that sort of Surrey Hills isn't super high rise. It's, you know, that medium rise and, you got your cafes and your restaurants and your school and, you know, it's inner city location. So if we could sort of expand that out across the city. city, um, And I think, you know, I do think aesthetics matter. I do think that, um, you know, placemaking and making this uh, apartment a really good place to live, not something that um, feels cheap and it feels that we're just getting the apartments in because that's not going to be super desirable for people. So what you want to do is create a viable alternative to where they haven't got an option at the moment. You know, a lot of young families say, well, I can't afford a house. I'm looking for an apartment and then there's no bigger apartments. And then they're going, well, do I move up to Central Coast or do I move down to Wollongong or do I move regionally? Like hopefully this will create another option for them. You know, these sort of housing communities, I think they're quite big in Asia and things like that. Um, but I guess it's getting access to this land, right? There's not this infinite land and it's going to be a high cost acquiring the houses. There might have to be some heritage lost to create some of these um, locations and things like that. So um, but I do think there's going to be a pressure to um, relax zoning um, and in particular um, not in where we usually would see housing supply built. And I don't think that's going to be across the whole suburb. I think it's going to be in little pockets that um, make sense to be more dense. Um, 
And, you know, but, you know, then they're going to be the quieter sanctuaries off those main roads, off around around the train station. Um, and so when you're investing now, I think you can't rely on the past and say, well, nothing's been built here for 30 years. Nothing's going to be built for the next 30 years. I think that's a bit of a false belief. I think you've got to be embracing that this is going to change. But where is it going to change in the suburb? And can I, my property benefit from that but also not be negatively affected if they do make it a bit more dense in the suburb? So I think you just got to be a bit more strategic. Yeah, it makes sense. I saw Philip Oldfield, head of University of New South Wales School of the Built Environment, said that pattern book housing design ideas have been used since Roman times, so it's not a new idea and actually widely used in other parts of the world as well. But he did say there would probably need to be some local input from architects because you're not going to – uh, get very far if you're trying to prove the same type of housing in somewhere in the sort of leafy eastern suburbs of Sydney versus Parramatta, as you said, because there, there are different conditions and what's going to work in one place isn't necessarily going to work in another. I think like a lot of these suggestions, it's not going to fix the housing supply crisis on its own, but it is one thing that could be looked at as a way to uh, tackle supply issues, which Sydney is at the forefront of. I saw Scott Phillips uh, from the Motley Fool said, uh, well, his view was pretty sceptical. What could possibly go wrong other than poor workmanship and corners being cut at the altar of political expediency? I must mm. admit, when you see these big numbers thrown around, we're going to build 1.2 million uh, dwellings in five years. And, you know, that's it. it's good to have targets. But when numbers are, you know, just the, the main thrust, then you do worry about uh, some of the... Uh, corners being cut, the defects and the poor quality, because we definitely saw that in the preceding construction boom. Um, the quality of some of the stuff that went up was pretty diabolical in some cases, to be honest. So, yeah, pretty interesting. And it um, hasn't been backed through yet by the New South Wales government, but we'll watch this space. Um, yeah, so, so I think the final thing to probably say on that in my side is that Nightingale Housing, if you're listening to this, if you, you know, that is a... Uh, I don't know what it is, to be honest. It's it's a business that's a lot uh, run for not-for-profit. I guess it could be a – I don't know if there is a profit there, to be honest. So do your own research. I don't know what it is. But check out their their current projects, their past projects, the ones they're constructing right now. Um, you know, Jeremy McLeod, Breathe Architects, he's one of them. There are lots of different architects, the top end of Melbourne, who care about sustainability but also care about communities, are building amazing buildings that are – cut price you know they they cut away the frills but they just build quality you know something that's super nice to live in super nice um, um great for the the building and the shared community um and they're doing it at a cost because they have to they're trying to um you know get key worker housing and things like that so um nightingale an amazing business to track and you know they went from one development in brunswick maybe five to ten years ago and now i think they've got 15 to 20 on the go now it's it's ridiculous you've got tens of thousands on their waiting list trying to trying to get an apartment so the demand way exceeds supply but if they could share their best practice together with the governments and accountants and then they get developers on board and maybe there's uh free kicks to the developers or they don't have to pay certain taxes if they um you know increase their profits uh, i think there's going to be solutions that have to come up so let's go to uh story pete too what are we um what are we going to cover this week you're right. That's one of the key thrusts, actually, is actually getting developers to work together rather than against each other. Because if uh, uh, the pattern book designs are going to be used, then they will need to be shared. Uh, so, yeah, second story of the week, uh, some stronger property market dynamics in play with buyer FOMO or fear of missing out set to explode. AFR article 
Louis Christopher of SQM Research being quoted there. So I guess what we've seen this week, Chris, so um, Australia's national accounts showed GDP growth was 0.4%, but actually after accounting for the, the very strong growth in population, or at least the estimated population, uh, GDP per capita was minus 0.3%, and the same again actually last quarter. So I guess the economy in per capita terms has been going backwards for the last six months, and that's because, I mean, obviously the population numbers are estimated, but about 2.4% growth in the population is record high growth, over 600,000 people. Um, and I guess the, the big picture is the interest paid on dwellings has increased about 80% since the pre-pandemic days. And of course, household saving rates have absolutely plunged. They were at 23.7% when all the stimulus was being thrown around, now down to about 3 of 3%. So uh, for a lot of households, by the time they've contributed their super and paid the mortgage, uh, their savings, uh, well, saving rates will be negative. They'll be running down their savings. So as a result of all that, um, Westpac is calling the next move in interest rates is down in 2024. I think if you look at futures markets, they're looking at um, the cash rate target peaking around uh, January with basically no further hikes priced in and then falling away in 2024. And um, so that's led, um, I guess, to Louis prediction of buyer FOMO being set to explode as consumers. Uh, I suppose interest rates have been on hold for three months now and people are starting to anticipate the next move being down. I think uh, going the other way though, SQ, SQM's own figures did show that, as you touched on just before, Chris, listings are actually starting to pick up now, especially in Sydney and Melbourne, as vendors get a bit more confident about the outlook. So there's things pulling in both directions, I suppose. So, yeah, going back to October, November, sounds a long time ago, Pete, um, and uh, in dad life, it's, uh, you know, every day is a long day. Um, but November, actually, last year, we saw some shift in buyers, right? We could, see, you know, we see clients come to us and they've already got a certain perception and behavior and attitude and we can sort of, a good litmus test. We see it very early on and not just our current buyers, you know, people coming to us, our existing clients and um, and also talking to other brokers as well. And we could see a shift back then and that was very low listings and that went, you know, I think the Sydney, um, we're talking a lot about Sydney, you know, we do a lot in that market, but also Melbourne and, and Brisbane. But, you know, Sydney, I'm just looking at the numbers, are up up 9% since the, the bottom of the market. So, you know, the market's already rising at over 1% a month, um, you know, and, you know, Brisbane, Brisbane's up sort of 6%. Melbourne's a bit sluggish. They didn't drop anywhere near as much as sort of Brisbane and Sydney did. So their bounce back isn't as much because it didn't drop as much, I would say. But, um, yeah, we've seen that. We did see that May, June time to be a little bit concerning for a lot of our buyers. A lot of buyers wanted to sit on the fence. Um, uh, I think that was a really bad time for listings for the, in, in spring, but it doesn't seem to be a case. I mean, it seems that listings are picking up, but total listings are really, really down. And so that means that uh, listing absorption, you know, so even though listings are coming on, they're selling. Um, and so that's a good sign that there's enough healthy demand. And I don't think it's the best quality listings coming on the market either. So, you know, usually in this situation, you'd see the poorer listings on the market and then they'd maybe be accruing, days of market be running out, but that's just not the case. And I think three months of rate pauses plus buyers have been looking, buyers are getting fatigued. You know, when you get tired, you get a bit more, um, you know, willing to make more compromises, you just want to end the pain, you just want to buy something. So I think the buyer pool's there. They're getting more and more confidence that rates aren't going to go to 5%. 
um, as more and more rate pauses. And you can see the commentary starting to move into sort of rates are going to go down at some point. So that sentiment shift happens fast, right? This is in three months' time, things have shifted. Um, whether it's going to explode to, you know, 20% or 30% annual price growth or something ridiculous like that, I'd say highly unlikely. But the market's already growing at more than 1% a month. And so even if it continued at this rate, it's in double figures for the year. So what's your take, Pete, on, on where we're at? There's definitely a stock versus flow thing happening here. So, yes, new listings in Sydney jumped by over 10% over the past month. So that's the biggest, I guess, increase or largest amount for new stock since SQM started doing this series back in 2009. Melbourne also had the same thing. New listings jumped 12.6% over the month, which is the biggest in about seven years or so. And Canberra was over 20%. So there's suddenly listings are happening. I think if you look at total listings on the market, though, as you said, the long-term average is about 240,000. And we're back up now to about well, on SQM's figures anyway, 224,000. So, I mean, the market is still pretty tight overall, but vendors are obviously feeling a bit more confident about listing, I guess, largely because they're sensing the Reserve Bank has reached the terminal rate. I think just more on the anecdotal side, uh, we've certainly seen an, an increase in inquiry um, over the past couple of months. I think people are you know, as you said, I think on podcasts previously, because people aren't as spooked now by interest rate rises, paradoxically, because when they started going up, you know, one, one and a half percent, people were quite fearful then. But now people are sensing that we're probably at the top or pretty close to it. And at some point, uh, rates will be coming back down. Uh, some of the other um, sort of indicators that SQM look at, well, asking prices have increased, uh, a bit of pent up demand there. And distressed listings actually also fell again last month so the number of forced sales just hasn't really transpired and we're probably now just passing the peak of the fixed rate cliff um so maybe it's just um with people basically hanging on to their jobs the the forced sales story just hasn't come to pass so as you said yeah there's a few mixed um dynamics there but overall there's a just well population growth is rampant and there's just enough demand at the moment to keep on pushing prices yeah, and I think we're, obviously we're doing a national podcast that, you know, the regions aren't as a positive story, right? Um, and, you know, uh, apartment markets, for example, you know, high density aren't as positive as, you know, the low density apartments and the family suitable ones and the housing market. And so I guess, you know, for our listeners is that this may not apply to you per se if you've got, you know, when your property's in certain locations, you know, there's 11 million dwellings. And so, but overall, I would say that the capital cities, you know, there's a shortage of housing stock and there's a, there's a pent up demand. And I think that there's not this distressed selling happening. So you're not getting a big increase of listings. Um, and if people who are, you know, have got a property and they want to upgrade, a lot of them are just sitting on their hands. And so if they've got a decent asset because they haven't got the guts to sort of do this trade. However, I would say that's shifting because in the in the last couple of weeks we've had multiple clients, you know, shifting from apartments to houses um, and, and wanting to make that jump because in their view, the last time they want to do this is when rates are getting cut, um, you know, and they know that that's not going to be a great time to be buying when people's perception is that rates are going down. So everyone wanting to get ahead of the market, well, to be honest, the, to get ahead of the market, you had to be buying when there was peak fear and that was October 2022. It's not October 2023. So, um yeah, that would be my take on where things are. Pete, what's um the next story, uh, intergenerational one? I mean, these reports come out 
you know, reasonably regularly these big government reports and I feel like they spend a lot of money producing them, uh, a lot of uh, resources and then people read them for a few days and then they get forgotten about. What's your take on the intergenerational report? You made a good caveat there. Obviously, we make a lot of these points on a national basis, but when I look at the asking prices that SQM reported, the biggest increase over the past year was for units in Brisbane and also asking prices in Perth in double-digit growth mm. territory. Uh, but as you said, a lot of the regional markets in particular, I think as we covered actually in last week's podcast, a lot of the regional markets have seen double-digit declines. So, Yes, definitely a uh, caveat emptor and certainly look at your local market. Yes, the intergenerational report. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a marketing document, isn't it? It kind of uh, <laughs> it, uh, sort of highlights the things that the government would like us to consider. I think if you look at the projections for population growth um, out to 2063, it's actually interesting looking back at the graph. I think if you look up to around 2002, start of the mining boom, population growth in Australia was just ticking along and then suddenly it just just kind of ramped up it took off dramatically a lot of the people then of course we're going to western australia and queensland northern territory i think the weird thing was though when we got to the peak of the mining boom 2012 2013 the population growth never really slowed down it just kind of shifted across the sydney and melbourne and the services economy and we've just kept on going at least until the border closures through covid uh, so generally, the intergenerational reports have tended to, uh, well, quite significantly undershoot in terms of their projections. And the reality is the population growth has been very high. If you look out 40 years, we're probably looking at, I guess, a big Australia population of around 43 million up from, where are we today, just under 27. So it's massive growth. A lot of that, of course, will be Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and southeast Queensland. Um we do potentially have an aging population, yeah. but hence the target, you know, of Australia's immigration program being to, towards young migrants. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's the population story is going to get more debate, Chris. I mean, even just on that previous story we touched on there, you know, the need for 375,000 dwellings in five years in just one state. I mean, I don't know that anyone's really articulating the benefits of this kind of rapid pace of population growth. And don't get me wrong, I'm a migrant and I'm pro-migration, but that's this is proper breakneck population growth. Um, so I wonder whether some of these projections, well, you know, who knows what will happen in 40 years, but certainly population growth as a um, point for debate will certainly get more focus, I guess, over the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. I always laugh at they did a chart on it Uh you know, migration for the next 40 years is 235,000 and it just goes flat, the chart. Like it's not, it's going to go up and it's going to go down. And this is our number for the next 40 years. And they've got it wrong a lot in the past, haven't they, Pete? I mean, they've underestimated the population and we're way ahead of what they thought it was going to be. And, um, you know, I guess it's a political thing is they're saying, well, that's probably something that people can digest. Um, but, you know, if, you know, great talent and money wants to come into the country, it's hard for them to sort of say no, right? Um, whether it's a... Uh, private schools or, you know, um, you know, cashed up sort of downsizers even. They have these, uh, you know, visas that you could basically buy yourself a, a residency and things like that. So uh, I, I think that, you know, migration is not going to go. I guess it's just figuring out how do we fit them in but still keep this the benefits of the social fabric, I guess, and, and also create this housing. And um, I think that's why that when we, our first story, the NIMBY versus YIMBY, I think that's also, if that gets solved, that also 
aligns with a, a fast-growing population, you know, more money for councils, more money for governments. They can start doing more infrastructure, um, you know, because they can forecast better. So I don't know. I think this is is playing into that story as well. It, it's showing that, you know, we, we can't just sit on and say, well, let's not build. We actually have to keep building, not just for our current people here, but because we're going to have to keep growing our population. Otherwise, we're going to have issues with a, an aging population where there's less people working supporting less people retired and the pressure on our aged care and our pensions and um you know if that starts to get too lopsided you can look at countries around the world that would you know we you know die for you know more people coming in of younger ages right um and then some countries around the world have heavily like india for example have got amazing weighting towards younger people that will drive the economy so um yeah that would be my take with population we've got to be we can't be ignorant that we don't need it because otherwise we'll have an aging population, but we also need to, I guess, carefully manage it within our communities. There's a number of countries, uh, particularly Canada recently, mm. United Kingdom, New Zealand, and obviously Australia, going very hard on immigration. I mean, it probably, that, in the short term anyway, increases the participation rate. In the labour force, it effectively slows down the ageing of the population, at least in the short term. And it reduces the dependency ratio. As you said, if you bring in talent, that's going to boost um, innovation. It boosts headline GDP. But it is put, putting a heck of a lot of pressure on infrastructure, housing, you know, transport, all of those sorts of things, particularly in places like Melbourne, we've seen um, real challenges there. I think um, as a, a portfolio investor in property, because I'm, I'm not a great market timer. I try to buy counter cyclically to the extent possible but i guess it's graphs like this that make me think that uh, property for, certainly for people like me anyway inherently a bit lazy tends to work best as a kind of a long-term investment and if you're looking at a, a graph over 40 years it's not like um you go to japan or south korea or some of the countries in asia where the population is actually expected to start falling away and china actually to some degree um australia's going down a very different route, basically, well, rampant population growth at the moment and projections out over the next 40 years of more of the same, 400,000 every year. Um, so, like, I mean, there's different ways to do real estate and there's no right or wrong per se, but it's, for me anyway, and I don't like paying capital gains taxes either, I've tended to try and buy stuff, you know, buy in the, the areas that are effectively uh, relatively cheap at that time or where um, sentiment is low, and then just hold on for the long term generally. So I guess there's different ways to do it, though. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a pressure for the government to raise more taxes, right? And so, you know, there's going to be absolutely tax changes probably uh, for the negative, um, you know, over the longer term. For the negative, you'll be paying more tax, I would say. I think there'll be a inheritance tax, which is, you know, common around the world in the UK, US. Who's to say that doesn't come in here? Who's to say the house still grows tax-free? Who's to say it doesn't get included in the pensions test? I think some big tax changes that um, you can already see them targeting super. That's an easy win, um, you know, targeting people with more than three, four million. So I think tax changes and, you know, inequalities obviously getting worse. And so that would be one attempt at sort of reducing that. I suppose it's the first rule of robbing banks or, you know, whatever it is, you know, go to where the money is. And, yeah, superannuation would be an obvious place to look. I think um, certainly the intergenerational report suggested we'll need to shift the focus away from income taxes, which we're already very dependent on in Australia. They're very high as well at the top rates of tax, pushing 50% really. 
at the top bracket. So, yeah, we'll probably need to move towards some other forms of tax uh, death duties, as you mentioned, maybe more land tax or yep. I think higher GST often gets a mention. Um, so there'll definitely be some shifts. And, um, yeah, I suppose one of the things this document is trying to do is maybe pave the way for some uh, tax reform, uh, maybe in uh, Labour's second term if they get up. Um, some other interesting points, yeah, the healthcare sector is going to require huge investment and employment, I guess, over the coming decades as the population grows and ages, which I think is, you know, it's noteworthy for the housing market, um, sort of more aged care housing, downsizers and so on. Also for commercial property, though, Chris, we'll need obviously so many medical centres and things mm. like that. And um, I suppose just one of the other things that was touched on, um, uh, heavy investment in renewables is also to be expected. Australia's obviously been very rich in LNG and coal, but um, over time we're expected to shift more towards renewable energies. Um, yeah, so some really interesting sort of graphs and charts in terms of the age structure of the population, but basically getting bigger and older over time. And um, But maybe some uh, gradual shifts in terms of the way the economy actually runs. Yeah, and I think it's just interesting, all these sort of demographics and governments, I think it's, you know, you've got to say with a, a grain of salt, right, as we sort of mentioned, but ultimately it's good to track these things. As someone's investing in the market, you just want to be, understand what are the big longer-term trends, you know, how things are going to shift with demographics and government policies and cities are going to evolve because ultimately if you're going to hold something long-term, you want to see is that going to benefit me or is it going to potentially make that asset at risk or give it lower growth. And um, see, so always don't just be in this confirmation bias and say, I bought a buy and hold. I'm never going to reconsider my options. I think that's uh, potentially maybe you could have done that in the past and, and still got your returns, but I think there's still going to be a flight to quality and some assets are going to grow much better than others over the next you know, 30, 40 years. Yes, I think, um, yeah, there's always a bit of a bifurcation in the market, especially when, you get to the downturn. So, yeah, definitely um, you need to keep an eye on what's happening in, in your local market. And, um, yeah, some big interesting trends there. So I think that's about it for this week. So just to summarise there, um, so uh, pattern book housing is the latest wheeze being proposed, uh, this time for New South Wales to speed up housing supply. Uh, but, of course, um, yeah, it's not a quick fix and uh, definitely going to be some challenges in terms of supplying the Sydney housing market over the next five to ten years. Uh, secondly, uh, buy a FOMO to explode. Well, sometimes even the headlines themselves can do that. Um, you see project uh, all of the major banks are now predicting um, house price growth 2024, 2025. So, I mean, that in itself actually does bring more buyers back into the market when there's the doomsday predictions have kind of dropped away um, from a year ago. And then thirdly, intergenerational report projecting a big increase, as it always does, I guess, in the population over the next 40 years. But maybe some changes in terms of um, the bigger parts of the economy. Um, and obviously, the population will gradually age over time as well. So uh, what have you got on over the next week, Chris? Uh, my dad's in town, actually. He lives in Melbourne. So um, yeah, a lot of family time, nothing besides that, to be honest. It's head down, bum up for me. I think we've had a couple of holidays in, in August. So it's, uh, yeah, let's, let's get through to Christmas now. Yes, and I'm urgently trying to catch up with everyone and get everything finished before I jump on the plane into Kingsford Smith. Um, so uh, if you want to catch up with me, Pete Wardgen Blogspot is my daily blog or at Pete Wardgen on Twitter. And if you're not busy in Sydney on Friday the 22nd of September in the afternoon, we do have a few spare tickets uh, for Chris and I's masterclass um, just down at Circular Key. So if you're interested, just uh, shoot us an email 
and uh, we do have a few spares. Um, and Chris, if people want to get in touch with you, Blusk, where can they go? Jump in the show notes. You've said it a hundred times before, but absolutely just fill in the form and um, yeah, come chat to the team and we'd love to have a chat. Too easy. All right. We'll have a great uh, weekend and um, I'll see you next week, basically. Happy Sunday, all. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.